This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach and an author, and my newest book is Find Your Happy at Work. Today, we're going to talk about executive coaching and how it is that a coaching style of leadership can change an organization's culture and improve employee performance and happiness. Our guest is Mark Capone, a retired Army colonel and a former brigade commander and chief of staff for the Ohio National Guard. Mark has two master's degrees and lots of other training related to leadership and management. And he's also an ICF certified coach. Mark will talk about what's involved in leadership coaching and what happens when leaders start acting more like coaches in their day-to-day work. He'll explain how a coaching culture tends to empower workers and promote well-being, collaboration, and much better conversations. And he'll offer tips that might help you ask supportive, coach-like questions. Mark, thanks so much for being here today. I'm so uh, uh, glad to have a chance to talk with you, and and we're going to talk a lot today about executive coaching and the things it can do for an organization. But before we get into that, here on Jazzed About Work, we always like to hear our guest career stories, and yours is interesting and distinguished. Could you kind of tell us about how you got to where you are today as a leadership expert? Hi, Bev. Thanks, and I'm excited to be here with you today, and um, any conversation about executive coaching is one that gets me excited, so um, I look forward forward to our conversation today. I... uh, I, I kind of raise my eyebrows when I hear the word expert on leadership. I think uh, any expertise I might have <laughs> is due to the help of a lot of folks who lifted me up uh, as a leader throughout my journey. And, and quite frankly, um, from learning from things I messed up. <laughs> so that's how we learn. That's how we learn. That's how, and that's, I've learned some hard lessons that way, but that's how I've learned. I, um, I was born and raised in Wheeling, West Virginia. I was a child of Appalachia. And my first taste of leadership was in 4-H. And uh, kind of just naturally fell into uh, being president of the 4-H club and and um, learning how to speak pub, do public speaking and things like that. So that's really you know the beginning, I guess, of my journey. I'd say I found my way to the beautiful university down in Athens, Ohio University, a uh, long time ago, and um, was on an Army ROTC scholarship. So while I was at o- OU, I was. Um, learning the fundamentals of Army leadership uh, almost every day uh, through a, through one of the highest rated Army ROTC programs in the nation, by the way, was then, still is. And after I graduated from OU, I was commissioned into the Army, and I spent the next mm, nearly 23 years there. And I had what we would have called in the military, you know, a succession of organizational leadership assignments that started from small unit leadership. We called them platoons in the army. I had about 40 folks in my platoon right out of college. I had 40 folks and back then a couple million dollars worth of equipment, which a couple million dollars back then was, was a lot of money. So a lot of responsibility. And from day one, um, was in a leadership role and progressed through uh, platoon leadership, what we call company command, which was a company of about 120 or so folks in it, uh, onto battalion command, which, uh, just same kind of um, 
same kind of um, units, but but the the leadership responsibilities changed. When I got into battalion command, it was more large organization leadership. As you get into battalion command, you're a little more distant maybe from the folks that you're leading every day. And in fact, it makes you kind of sad. You, you wish you were back down in the trenches a little bit. And finally retired from the army. Um, as a colonel, I was uh, a brigade commander, had a couple battalions that I commanded, and um, we had a really neat mission set, diverse mission um, of supporting Army forces, uh, not only globally, but here here at home too, when needed. So that kind of wrapped up my Army career. I was, I was lured into retirement to take a role at the Ohio Department of Veteran Services. I served there as their act acting uh, as their assistant director for about three years, uh, from about 2016 to 2019. That was just a, a wonderful leadership opportunity. I was kind of like a chief of staff or chief operating officer for those, um, you know, wondering what assistant directors do. And we had a great uh, responsibility. We were um, advocating for Ohio's 800,000 veterans and their families. And we had the largest veterans home in the state of Ohio, the Ohio Veterans Home, and I had nearly 800 residents that we that we cared for every day. And that was just a wonderful experience. And that, that brought me right back full circle uh, in my leadership journey to Ohio University. Um, our founding dean, Dr. Mark Weinberg, and my director, uh, Colonel Retired Jay Johnson, gave me a just a wonderful opportunity in late 2019 to join join the Voinovich School and the Voinovich Academy. Well, I want to pause here a second because it just has dawned on me that the Voinovich School, of course, is our sponsor. And so there's a brief mention of them in, in the middle of our podcast. But, you know, I, I don't think I've ever really explained what the Voinovich School is and how um, it relates to Ohio University. And let me just take a second, because it's this a fascinating institution. The school, of course, is named after George Voinovich, who was a wonderful mayor and governor and senator. He was a he was a dear man. I had the opportunity to know him later in his life, and I know he believed in collaboration and public-private partnerships, and he had an enormous commitment to public service. So the Voinovich institution that he inspired and is. Um, has his name, runs all kinds of programs, not just classes, but they do all kinds of things to serve the region, like economic development and environmental mitigation and health programs. And I've been intrigued lately by one of its new programs. It's an online graduate degree related to climate change. You can get a degree or take a course online related to sustainability, security, and resilience. That Those are just examples. So in the middle of all of that now is the Voinovich Academy, which is a little different than every other unit within the school, and it's focused on excellent in public service. Is that right? It is. It is. You had me looking at the ceiling. If we weren't on a podcast, yeah. folks would see me looking at the ceiling. I'm. I've been there now. I've been there now almost three years. Yeah. Wow. I. That surprises me. Time goes fast when you're having fun, huh? It does. It sure does. It's, it's a great team, and, and Bev, I'm happy to share a little bit about what I do there. Um, the Academy itself has been around for almost five years. I've only been there for about three. And uh, the Academy really got its start in Central Ohio, uh, partnering with uh, state agencies and local municipalities to um, provide executive leadership opportunities for their, for their folks, uh, for their leaders. I came on board in November 2019 um, under a state appropriation with a pretty short mission, but something that's pretty expansive when you think about it. Um, the, the 
I'm currently operating under an appropriation with a mission of building public service leadership capacity in the Appalachian region of Ohio. Now that's 32 counties, so um, pretty pretty tall order. But we've uh, in the first first two and a half three years that I've been there, we've we've already had some great um, experiences, and I think we're learning and we're, we're we're doing that. We're we're building that public service leadership capacity. the The main things that we are doing right now, and we're kind of getting kind of getting what we do a little bit more um, streamlined into what folks are asking for and what folks need. The first thing is we've got a we've got an annual cohort experience. We're into our third year with that now. It's called Leading in Appalachia. And we bring in anywhere from 20 to 30. This year we've got 32 public service leaders from throughout the Appalachian region. We've actually got folks from 16 different counties out of the 32 Appalachian counties taking part this year. And that annual cohort experience um, has been a way for us to reach uh, folks uh, well outside the the Athens radius um, and provide provide you know them an opportunity to get to know one another, network together, and to hopefully level up their leadership. So leading in Appalachia is probably you know one of the one of the primary folk, focal points we have. We're doing some work with uh, nonprofits in the region, um, different smaller nonprofits. Um, the the work that I think I'm that really resonates the most with me right now is probably our work with the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation, where we're working. Uh, we've done it. We've been doing it for uh, two or three years now. We're working with suicide prevention coalitions, which are really volunteers, um, but working with these suicide prevention coalitions throughout uh, Appalachian, Ohio, and throughout Ohio, really uh, writ large, to help build their leadership capacities because you know they're stepping up to do something that really um, has purpose and impact. And that's to, to reduce suicides here in the state of Ohio. So that's been really fulfilling work. Um, I've been doing some team coaching and development with smaller organizations. And we're now kind of shifting over to something called strategic doing. And strategic doing is uh, an agile leadership approach. Um, Dr. Ed Morrison, who actually, <laughs> whose brother Hunter worked with Senator Voinovich uh, when, when Senator Voinovich was mayor of Cleveland, um, Dr. Morrison has pioneered strategic doing this. Basically, how do you bring disparate groups or people together um, to work on common solutions for wicked problems that confront everyone? And that's it's just suited for the Appalachian region of Ohio. So we're really looking to bring strategic doing into the region to bring folks together, to bring leaders in Appalachia together to help solve some of the things that we've confronted in the region um, you mentioned some things, you know, economic development, healthcare, Bev, uh, you know, getting our kids educated, getting broadband to the region. Those are some of the things that they're tackling. And then, and then finally, I'd say, you know, the thing that that excites me is uh, we we've introduced professional coaching, leadership, and executive coaching into the academy, and that has been a couple different ways that. Um, I'll probably talk about a little bit later. That's a that's a tall order, but that's kind of what we've been up to, or what I've been up to uh, as an executive in residence for the academy in Appalachia here for the last two and a half years. I think um, sometimes people don't realize how broad a university's activities can be, uh, and Ohio University just is doing so many things in the region. I know, but let's get back to coaching because I want to particularly hit on that. I And I, I know you wear more than one hat and you're doing some coaching too. Uh, and you and I've had the chance to kind of talk about it because we're both so excited about the impact that coaching can have, not just in the individuals, which is certainly what I focused on when I started coaching years ago, but on what it can do to an organization. 
Um, so we want to get into that, but, but um, how did you, with all of your leadership experience, how did you start at focusing in on executive coaching or leadership coaching as an important part of, of promoting strong leadership? Why, why do they come together in your mind, coaching and leadership? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Bev. And for folks who are listening and they may have heard of, about coaching and they're not sure what it is, I think I would be one of those folks. I was in that boat. Um, I'd, I'd heard about executive coaches, um, thought I knew what they were, but like many at the time, didn't fully understand it. And I think this that journey, that leadership journey that I painted uh, a little bit ago, the, the, my coaching um, evolution has been kind of enmeshed in that. And, you know, where we come from, um, you know, maybe a leadership style in the military that was predominantly um, commanding, you know, this is the way we're going to do things to one that's much more um, inviting where, where we, where we get folks to help them um, face their own challenges and come up with their own solutions. So I would say I first, um, I first became interested in executive coaching when one of our general officers had executive coaching. And I, I don't, I wasn't privy to all of what went on behind the scenes, but I saw this amazing transformation in his leadership style. He was a very, um, if if General George Patton had had survived into the '90s uh, and 2000s, this is what this this man reminded me of. And he got some feedback, I think, probably through a 360 uh, evaluation and invest, realizing he. he he could do better. He could level his own leadership up. And he was a general and he worked with an executive coach. He invested in his own development. And we saw, I saw an amazing transformation in his leadership style. Um, the man became a, a wonderful mentor to me. And that was my first kind of aha light that this coaching stuff really might work. Um, I, I'd say I probably didn't know what it was still. I finally got interested and understood better what executive coaching was when I got a coach. A um, dear friend of mine, Todd Uterstadt, um, had served in the Army with me back in the 90s, and he, to this day, runs a very successful executive coaching practice. And I came to him towards the end of my military career with just, hey, Todd, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I've got to retire soon. And Todd coached me, um, led me through a personality assessment, let me kind of get better awareness of what my own strengths, talents, and interests were, and helped me really align to where I wanted to be. And Long story short, here I am, just just where Todd said, you know, hey, this is what this is what it sounds like. What do you think? I, I think a lot of us do what you did, and that is, we get interested in coaching because we've had a situation where we saw the impact on somebody else. I I was in a similar situation. I was working as a senior leader in a corporation, not at the very top, but pretty close, and my CEO. Was I think ordered to have coaching is just a uh, not because he was doing badly, but because his um, board of directors said this is what we do now. You have to have a coach, and I yeah. could see how uh, he was more directive um, it, when I first knew him. But um, when uh, time went on, he had, I'd maybe take three recommendations to him and. Uh, say, these are the ups and downs. What do you think? And he would always say, that's why you get the big bucks. You tell me, you decide. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. was a big change. At first, I didn't think he meant it. But I saw how the team became closer. All kinds of things started happening. I didn't know what was going on in that room. But when I was thinking about what I wanted to do after being a lawyer, I thought I was ready for something else. 
I want that was the mystery I wanted to solve. How how is it that coaching can transform leaders and 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 leave um, everybody happy? So so you had that experience um, and you started to get into it. And you mentioned that um, I think um, one of the leaders you had was your mentor. So what's the difference in your mind uh, between an executive coach, a certified coach, like with a capital C coach like you are? I am. What's the difference between a coach and a mentor? And I'm sure you've had several mentors and been a mentor. How do you describe the difference? That's a that's a great question, Bevan. One that as we do more coaching inside organizations, I've found that it's really important to be clear about at the very outset. I, I'll tell you, as as a coach with a capital C now, I think back. If you'd asked me back when I was wearing a uniform. Hey, Mark, how much coaching do you do? I said, I do coaching all the time. And what I was really meaning, and I didn't know it probably, was that I was mentoring all the time. And first and foremost, coaching and mentoring, as you know, Beth, can go hand in hand. And in and, and, and a lot of cases, it's, it's really they complement one another quite well. Mentors, many of us have had, some of us have been. Mentors are somebody who's probably walked the path that we're on. They may be in the same field, the same industry. They may be. They may have had a career path that we aspire to, and they've been there and done that. And we go to them as mentees and ask, hey, what, what advice can you give me? How can you help me? What do I need to do? And, you know, to your point, I had great mentors, and I had mentors who really helped shape my career, and I've had mentors who helped shape my pathway into coaching. Bev, shout out. You're one of them. You know, thank you for your mentorship. And you've coached me too. So coaching with a capital C is where, you know, Bev, where you might have mentored me and said, Mark, these are some things to think about. This is what my my path's been. This is how I've done things. When you've coached me with a capital C as an executive coach, you've asked me like, Mark, what do you want to get into today? You know, and what's on your mind? And then you've just partnered with me kind of as a sounding board. Um, as I explored my own thoughts, I call it facilitated reflection when we're being coached or, you know, when we're in a coaching uh, conversation. So I think it's, I think as a leadership style, that's where I would hope that folks know that they don't have to be an executive coach with a C. They can just be more coach-like. You know, in my leadership journey, I'd say coaching has added, um, it's added a tool to my kit bag, if you will. I certainly had the directive and pace setting styles of leadership down. I think as I became more of a, sen- a more senior officer, I got more um, more of a visionary or um, transformational approach to my leadership style. Certainly asked, what do you think a lot? But now as a coach, I realize, hey, if we can be more coach-like inside our organizations, we can help folks figure things out on their own. They'll be happier. We have less work. Um, and you start to see it ripple out through the organization. Yeah, part of being a coach is learning how to develop a sort of coach-like uh, state of being. Yeah, as as leaders, I think we, we, there have all been times where you have to give uh, um, direction and act quickly and make decisions and be fast. And as a lawyer, uh, you know, I I was taught to kind of not argue, but, you know, advocate and, and, and have back and forth conversations that were tough. But a, being a coach, when you're in that mode, you put aside your judgment. You don't have responsibility what's going on. Everything you hear is totally confidential. And so you, your only job at, at, in many moments is just to totally listen with everything you have and then help 
lead with additional questions. That questioning, um, it, uh, it gets to be, I don't know, a kind of a, a like you said, a tool, a, something you know how to do. And I found myself not long ago not able to describe that kind of question because I felt like I'd done it so much. But I, I heard you recently talking about coaching questions and what they're like. Will you share with our readers the difference between coaching questions and the kind of questions you might have asked when you were a colonel? Yeah, you bet. And I'm, I'm, I'm smiling. So for your listeners, you know, I'm smiling now because I'm thinking back. I'm thinking back at the times when um, I'd ask, what do you think? And then when I heard the answer, I'd say, well, wouldn't it be better if, or um, have you thought about? And, and I think that gets into the essence of the difference between, you know, asking questions and really listening and letting somebody kind of take it where it needs to go versus telling them what they should be thinking. <laughs> um, you know, I think for me, Bev, I, the, the biggest difference between maybe some of the questions I asked as, as uh, a military officer um, and I asked the ones I asked as a coach are the ones that leave, it, the key is it leaves the, the decision, the questions leave the decision to the person you're asking the questions of. So, you know, dispel a little bit of a myth that military leadership is all do as I say, not as I do. It's that's, there's nothing farther from the truth. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or environmental studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. One of the things that is kind of mysterious to me about how coaching has evolved is how amazingly um, important it's been to an organization when coaching started years ago, I think we were thinking of it as something for individual leaders. But what started to happen is that when a bunch of people within an organization were being coached, um, were kind of becoming comfortable with uh, asking questions without having to be defensive or directive, it started to change the culture, right? The questions led to a different kind of approach to uh, communication. And all of a sudden, people were talking to each other in different ways. And, and that's part of the power of coaching, isn't it? That, that, that uh, learning to listen without judgment and to you know, keep on pursuing things when you're talking, including a boss to a direct report relationship, it's all becomes different, doesn't it? It sure does. It's, it's where those what and how questions we ask as coaches or coach-like leaders make all the difference. We're not, we're not leading the person down a path that we want them to go on. We're letting them explore their own path and just allowing ourselves for a minute to not know the answer. Um, you know, Bev, it's hard sometimes, and I'll speak from my experiences as a leader, sometimes we do know the answer. And, and it's just not always the best solution 
to splurt out the answer. Let the person come to the answer on their own because that's where the magic happens. That's where the growth and development is coming is when you just kind of allow yourself to be curious and not know and ask somebody some questions in a way that allows them to get to their best solution. That's development. That's professional development, leadership development. So, you know, whether it's planned, uh, you know, whether your coach-like conversations in an organization are planned or whether they're on the spot, find the times to take a breath and realize, hey, we're not in a we're not in a crisis right now. Let's let's just explore this a little bit and and do it by asking some coach-like questions. And part of the coach-like questions is that the the person who's acting as a coach is doing it without any kind of negative feeling, without any judgment, and a, a willingness to 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 be positive and a, and a sincere interest in the person who's talking. So, if you kind of practice that approach, it if, if a leader talks to a team member that way, the team member uh, feels much more um, able to explore what they really want, what they want to do. And it, it, it gives um, a lot of support for the growth of, of the, the team member uh, who has that kind of conversation regularly, doesn't it? It's, it, it promotes growth and learning. It, that's absolutely absolutely correct but it's it's kind of like the secret sauce and what what we find now and there's there's much more research today than there was maybe in years past about how that um coaching effect takes place in organizations and the positive impact that it has and you know happy to to share some thoughts on what happens in you know what happens to a leader when he or she is coached and then what happens maybe to to the team well what does that's helpful yeah Yeah, what does happen it's, 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 it's kind of cool now because, and I say cool, it's cool because I've read a lot. You know, you can read a lot of research and say, this is what happens. Now that I've been coaching folks uh, for um, quite a bit of time, I, I'm able to see it and I'm able to get feedback. And so it kind of just lines up the research and the practice for me, right? And, and first, for the person who's being coached, what the research shows is that it can be immensely helpful for the leader who, who really wants to be coached, who wants to take part and invest in his or her growth and development. Um, We see things like enhanced executive presence, increased self-awareness for certain, you know, increased self-awareness of our, of our own strengths, um, you know, where our, where our beliefs come from, what our interests are. And we see improved communication. And I think Bev, that gets back to what you were just talking about. This, this improved communication kind of happens through what's known as a ripple effect. So if I happen to be coaching a leader one-on-one, as that leader becomes more comfortable with me as the coach, uh, feels more safe, quite frankly, is the word, more trusting in sharing um, thoughts and opinions, they're they're naturally kind of inclined over time to start behaving that way with their teams. And we've seen that in the research. It, the ripple effect is the person being coached starts to act like um, they're, they're in a coaching session. And we call it psych- psychological safety. If, if you're familiar with the term, uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson out of Harvard has done an, an immense amount of research. But in a nutshell, when we have psychological safety, we we feel comfortable speaking up without a fear that we're going to be criticized or judged. And um, the research backs that up too. Uh, Project Aristotle. Google did Project Aristotle um, several years back where they, they spent a lot of money and brought in a lot of really smart people to try to figure out what made the teams inside Google more effective. And what came out of it, amongst many findings, was that psychological safety, when team members felt comfortable 
speaking up uh, without being criticized or fear of being criticized, the, the effectiveness of the team just went through the roof. I think um, the atmosphere of trust and um, uh, lack of fear about speaking up, uh, whether uh, the boss maybe is about to make a mistake or do something that's wrong or whether you have a great idea, there's a lot of reason in a traditional hierarchical organization to just keep your mouth shut. It's too risky. But when you feel that you're, you truly have an opportunity to speak up, and you're not afraid of the consequences of failure, then kind of magic happens. People come up with new ideas and they're more likely to collaborate with one another if they're used to kind of speaking up. It kind of changes a, a team dynamic because everybody feels more comfortable participating. Is that is that part of what you see? That's absolutely what we see. It's what what I see in the research and what I'm now seeing in organizations um, where we're coaching maybe the leaders at first and then um, being asked to come back in and work with the teams more. That this, this psychological safety, this, um, this feel that I can just speak my mind, once it starts to make its way through the organization or the team, it becomes a norm. It becomes kind of the way we do things around here and it helps reinforce or, or build a stronger culture in the team. Well, coaching used to be something that um, only happened with people at the top um, or people who could afford to um, hire their own coach. And within the coaching community, there's been a lot of interest in figuring out how can these uh, benefits be spread? How can more people have the opportunity for coaching? And how can some of the impact of coaching happen in an organization that can't afford a big coaching program? Do you have any thoughts um, that um, you might share on how maybe you know the nonprofits you work with and smaller government organizations can learn about coaching and, and get some of these benefits without spending a fortune? Yes, and you you really hit the nail on the head of what a lot of the folks we work with find, Bev. As you might imagine, um, organizations that are working off of uh, you know taxpayer funds or um, maybe a grant or an endowment, or they're <laughs> sometimes just cobbling together um, operating funds to get by day to day, don't don't necessarily have the ability to hire an executive coach for everybody on the team. And over time, what what I see as a positive movement is the coach, the professional coaching um, industry, if you will, realizing that and realizing that there's there's ways we can help organizations that aren't just the way we've always done it, which has traditionally been one-on-one -on -one executive coaching. Um, what we're starting to see now is a couple different things. Um, at universities, for instance, in our programs, we're embedding professional coaching in our leadership cohort experiences. So as folks come through our programs, we're providing them the opportunity to work with a coach maybe once or twice a month um, and, and then take back what they're finding to their organizations. We are finding that when you bring a team in to do traditional like leadership development workshops, if you, if you bake some coaching or coach-like um, approaches into those workshops, it, it's a, you're able to reach a, a wider audience in the organization and they can take it back with them. Um, and finally, I think what we're now starting to see more and more, especially I'll speak for myself, I'm seeing more and more in Ohio is governmental agencies um, and maybe nonprofits asking for training um, 
kind of what we're calling leaders as coaches training. So the organizations are asking us to work with a large group of their um, members, maybe 20 or 30 folks, and kind of have a conversation like we're having today, Bev. What is this coaching thing? What is it not? And hey, if I don't have the money or the time to go to an international coaching federation accredited school to be a coach, what can I do as a leader? And we're hopefully helping um, leaders, emerging mid-level senior leaders in the organizations that we work with do that. Um, there's some research recently, I read a Harvard Business Review article that said, you know, uh, managers don't necessarily know how to coach, but they can learn. And the findings of the research were with just a very short class, if you will, you know, one workshop maybe, um, managers can go back to their teams and be more coach-like. And of course, the more time they can spend uh, on it, the better they get at it. And so that that's a way we've seen um, that's allowing public service agencies, governmental organizations, nonprofits, um, allowing them to kind of bring coaching into their organizations, even though they can't afford necessarily an executive coach. I think that the change in organizations happened when coaching started sort of spontaneously because of coaching. And now what we're trying to do is create those same kind of changes without having to go through um, doing it accidentally. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and there's mm -hmm. lots, of, lots of opportunities out there. You mentioned the International Coaching Federation. They've got a great website with lots of, lots of info about coaching. Do you have any other suggestions for our listeners who might be kind of interested in coaching after hearing you and where they might get started uh, finding out about it? You bet, Bev. I'd say call me <laughs> or email me. I hope I hope you've got that ability to put maybe a web link or my email address uh, and contact information on on your podcast notes. I will I will do that um, in the podcast summary, so people should be able to go back to the summary where they saw us, and we'll uh, get you uh, directly connected with Mark Capone yeah. at the Voidovich uh, yeah. Academy, and uh, he's willing to answer questions. So that is great, and that's a wonderful way to. Um, end our conversation together. Mark, I always have fun talking with you and I really appreciate your being here today. You bet, Bev. I've, I've loved every minute of this. Thank you for having me. And and if you don't mind, can I leave with just a couple thoughts that, that might be on the minds of folks as they've listened to please, our conversation today? Please, I, I, I think sometimes, especially um, I'll speak for myself as a coach, I, I don't boil down some of the so what as well as I can about this coaching stuff. And we've hopefully shared how effective it is. And what I want to share with your listeners is um, it's really about having better conversations with our folks. It's really just about getting the culture in your team and your organization to be one where we challenge each other professionally, um, where it's a place where we kind of want to hear things first and then decide. It's really about better conversations. Um, when I was in the military, Bev, this great resignation that's going on right now has a lot of leaders concerned in their organizations. And one of the antidotes to that is just having better conversations. Um, one of the things we did well in the Army, we did retention interviews. And we would meet with folks and just sit down and have a talk with them and say, what are you thinking? Are you going to stay in the military? Are you going to stay in the Army? Are you going to get out? And you just had that conversation. And if they wanted to get out, you championed them. Stay interviews are much less common these days than exit interviews. So coaching and a coach-like approach can, can bring that. I, as you can tell, I'm passionate about this. I welcome your listeners to reach out to me. I am happy to continue the conversation, maybe answer questions, clarify. And finally, Bev, the last thing I'd tell your listeners, if you want to be more coach-like at work and you just don't have the time to invest maybe in, in a class or something, 
shameless plug, Bev, find your happy at work. Bev's your latest book has a lot of, it does. It has a lot of great tips for managers and leaders to read about some of the things that your folks and maybe you are encountering and maybe some ways of thinking about conversations that you can have with them with some tips and tools and, and thoughts that would be helpful. So I'll close with that. I appreciate your time today. And I, I love talking to you anytime we get a chance. Thank you. Well, thank you for mentioning my book. Now I'm blushing, but I appreciate it. And I, like I said, I loved having you here. As a final thing, would you just give your email address now? Just say it. I will, Bev, and I'm going to spell Capone because I'm not related to Al. Some of our listeners aren't old enough to know who I'm talking about, but uh, my email address is mark.capone at ohio.edu, and that's M-A-R-K dot C-A-P-P-O-N-E at sign O-H-I-O dot E-D-U. Thank you, Mark, uh, and thank you all for listening. Today we've been talking with leadership expert Mark Capone about how a coaching culture can empower workers and transform an organization. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that you can sometimes assist a colleague without solving their problems. You can be supportive by asking non-judgmental, open-ended questions and truly listening to their answers. Thanks for listening to us. Please tell your friends about Jazzed About Work and come back soon. Thank you.